All right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, as you can see, we made a we made a number of changes to the stage. We had some people come up this week, and we were able to uh, to get that done. So uh, we'll going to be looking at uh, probably adding a few things down the line still, but uh, give you at least a general idea of uh, what, we, what we've done up here. So I trust you had a good week. I know for many of you, it was a disappointing week. Um, with the schools closing, I know that uh, disappointed, particularly those of you that have older kids. So uh, sports seasons kind of got postponed and canceled and then uh, graduations. But you know what? I, I'm convinced that uh, we're pretty resilient and we tend to um, adapt pretty well, so I think we'll figure out some uh, unique and, and creative ways for doing it. Um, I, I'm glad that you're joining us, uh, and I hope that uh, today's a, a blessing to you as well. Let me encourage you, if you are not on our email list, please uh, sign up so that, that that's our primary way of communicating uh, throughout the week. And then uh, I'm trying on Thursday morning or Friday morning to do just kind of a short Facebook live thing just to kind of touch base, let you know uh, where we are and encourage you a little bit as to what's going on and kind of keep you in, in touch. Uh, let me encourage you, find a way to take your uh, talents, gifts, and abilities and serve somebody else. Uh, this is an easy time for us to get really self-absorbed and, and kind of self-focused on, on so many things. And so just, I, I know that uh, it, it, it's tough and and uh, you have to really think outside the box, but I, I mean, I know this week my wife did a did two online meetings with five year olds, and so uh, uh, it was a uh, challenging at best. But uh, you make do with what you can, and you make happen what you need to make happen. So I uh, just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, we're going to get through it. Uh, I know it's a lot of adjustment. I know it's a lot of change. And uh, for those of you that are like me. Uh, the older you get, the less change that uh, you like, and uh, the harder it is. But let me just encourage you along those lines to uh, to hang in there. Uh, we'll get at some point. We'll get back to meeting again, and uh, uh, it'll be a new kind of normal. But uh, but we'll make it. We'll do okay. So uh, let's uh, go ahead and start this morning by uh, looking to the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Lord, thanks for um, loving us. Uh, Lord, you've given us this day uh, as a gift. And uh, we thank you for it, Lord. We, we have the opportunity this morning to hear your word, to learn from uh, you, to be able to teach us and, and apply things to our heart. So, Lord, uh, we come today asking for things that really are heavy on our hearts as well. Lord, things are tough. Um, there's a lot of pressures and concerns and fears and worry and uncertainty. A lot of plans that have been changed and, and upended. Uh, Lord, there are those who are really struggling physically. Lord, for those who are sick, uh, I, I ask, Lord, that you would heal as only you can. Um, Lord, for those that um, have to make decisions, and, and, and Lord, really tough decisions, and try to lead through all of this, Lord, I ask that you would give them wisdom and discernment, protection, Lord, and guidance as they try to do what's best. Lord, for um, those on the front line, Lord, some of the heart-wrenching stories of, uh, of people who are struggling, particularly in in some of the large uh, urban areas. Lord, I just pray that you would give them grace and strength, that, Lord, you would use them in a great way. For all of us, Lord, that you would um, use this in our lives to draw us closer to you, um, to draw us closer to one another, to learn to appreciate the things that we have. And, uh, Lord, help us to, um, to keep our focus. Teach us this morning. Um, 
Lord, may we not just hear, but may we apply. And Lord, when this day is all said and done, may you be honored and glorified. May all of us be drawn closer to you and closer to one another. These things we ask in your name. Amen. We uh, are in a series on uh, the life of Moses, and we started this earlier at the beginning of the year. Uh, then uh, we've been the last couple of years, we've done a small group study, so we, we, we take a break and we spend about five to six weeks uh, on, on one topic and do small group meetings. And so uh, we had uh, started on Moses, then we went to uh, a series called uh, Be Anxious for Nothing, and uh, then in the middle of all of that, we had this virus thing come up and, and kind of shifted our plans. So it's as if God was already preparing our hearts for, for what was ahead. And uh, then we headed into Easter. And so last week we had our, uh, our Easter service. And then uh, this week, uh, I, I was struggling with what, whether or not I wanted to go back to Moses. And I, I looked very seriously at doing a series in Philippians. And the more I thought about it, prayed about it, the more I realized, you know what? The, the, where we are right now in the life of Moses is going to tie in so well to where we're headed as a community and as a country in the days ahead. And so I want to pick that back up because we're right at um, the 10th the, the plague. And then next week we're going to start on Israel taking this journey into the wilderness. And so Israel had to leave everything that they knew. And they had to adapt and change and learn to trust God and learn to depend on God. And so I think the lessons as we go through that will be uh, encouraging and, and, and challenging for us because it's really where we're going to be headed as a, as a church, a community, a country, and a, and a, and a world. So um, that's where we're going to uh, be headed for uh, the next couple of months probably. So uh, for those of you that have not been with us uh, when we started this series, let me give you a, just kind of a quick synopsis. You can go back and listen to the podcast and catch up. Uh, this will actually be our eighth uh, uh, lesson, a uh, series in uh, the life of Moses. We started with Moses as a child. Uh, he spent 40 years in Egypt. Uh, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he ends up then uh, making a statement and uh, basically leaving Egypt and uh, spends 40 years in, in the desert um, as a shepherd. So for, for 80 years, God has been working and preparing Moses for that which he is about ready to embark on in leading roughly conservatively 2 million plus people um, out of Egypt. And so God calls him, uh, God uh, challenges him, says, you're my guy, I, I will do this through you, um, and Moses is willing to do that. So Moses and Aaron uh, go through and uh, they meet with Pharaoh, they ask Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, we have talked about this, um, uh, and we have a series of plagues, uh, the, the, the 10 plagues of Egypt. And uh, we walked through those plagues. We talked about how that each one of those plagues had a, a tie to a specific Egyptian god. Uh, the Egyptian culture is a polytheistic world, so they believe in many, many gods. They had a god for just about everything. And so what God does is God starts taking their gods on one-on-one -on -one and showing them that their gods can't meet their needs and uh, turning them, trying to turn them towards the one true God. And God is trying to show that that he is God and, and their gods are not. And so each one of the plagues is geared that way. And when we get to the 10th plague, um, it's no different. Um, there is, uh, we're not quite sure exactly um, which God it is that they're talking about. I, I personally think it's the idea that uh, 
Um, in the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was considered a god. And so uh, the next god in line would be Pharaoh's son, Pharaoh's firstborn son. And uh, I think that's really who this, this plague is directed at, is the idea of, uh, because it's tied to the firstborn, particularly the firstborn males. So uh, with that in mind, what happens is, again, we've come up to uh, nine plagues have, have plagued Egypt, uh, and now we're at the tenth uh, plague. And so we're going to pick our story up in uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 11. Exodus, chapter 11, here's what it says. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will, give you, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. He basically says, look, Moses, you need to tell people when, when, when we get ready to go out of here, they just need to go to their neighbors and get everything and get. So now Pharaoh goes to Moses, or, or uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and here's what he says. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or any animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, leaves Pharaoh. So basically, Moses now comes to Pharaoh, and he says, Look, here's what's happened. At midnight, this is what's going to happen. This is what God's going to do. So you need to be ready <clears throat> um, to face this. Now, if you go through Exodus 11 and 12 and then parts of 13, which I want to challenge you to do, you'll read all of the things that I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But what happens is now is Moses now comes to the children of Israel. And he says, all right, here's what God wants you to do. Uh, God wants you to take a, a, a one-year uh, male sheep or goat and take them aside, bring them into your house, basically take care of them and watch them for four days. Uh, so, uh, now this is going to get me in trouble in my farm community, but um, here we go. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a lamb, um, about a year old, according to my perspective. Now, some of you are going to know exactly how old it is. I don't. I'm just guessing. I, I, I know when they're little, they're, they're less than a year. About, this is about a year old as far as I understand it. So, I want you to think about this for a second because here's what's going to happen. Um, even though it's an agrarian culture, even though they're used to slaughtering animals, not everyone had that job. So, but every family member was to bring, every, every family was to have one goat, one lamb represented for the family. Uh, and Moses was clear, if you have a, a really small family, you could bring in a neighbor and, and your neighbor and your family could go together. But here's what would happen. You would bring that animal in for four days. You would watch that animal and carefully. You would make sure that there were no marks on it. You would make sure that it was not sick in any way. You would make sure that it was a completely healthy, uh, innocent animal. Uh, no broken bones whatsoever. Uh, it was very uh, specific and explicit on, 
on what to watch for. So they would watch that animal for four days. So for those of you that have little kids, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Um, you bring home one of these animals to live in your house for four days. How attached do you think your children are going to get? Because that's exactly what would have happened in this culture. And then what Moses says, at the end of four days, what you're going to do is you're going to take that animal and we are going to tie it up and we are going to slit its throat. We are then going to catch the blood. We're going to take all of the blood and we're going to use uh, branches that kind of like, uh, uh, think of it as uh, grass and stuff all tied up in kind of a bunch. And we are going to paint it on the doorpost and the top lintel of the house. So this is what we're going to do. Now you can imagine this story that you're going to have to have with your children. Explaining to them that this animal that they have grown so attached to is now going to die. And then, not only that, but you're going to then, again, the, the whole guideline was very, very specific. Um, you are then, so they, they would go through this ritual, they'd paint it on the doorpost, then they would go inside of their house. Um, they would then uh, roast it. Uh, they would roast the, the, the meat. They would then take it and uh, they would make sure that they were all dressed and ready to leave. They would have their sandals on, their shoes were put on, and they would have their staff in their hand all ready to go. After they had finished roasting the animal, they would eat it with uh, bitter herbs and unleavened bread. Then, if there was anything left over, they were to throw it in the fire and, and consume it completely. It was to be a, a, a total consumed sacrifice. There was to be nothing left, uh, not, no leftovers from the sacrifice. And then, what would happen is, that night, the Death angel would come through, and then that takes us to our, next, uh, to our next text, and here's what it says in Exodus chapter 12. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt. I will strike down every firstborn of people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Um, it's interesting to me that what happens is God provides a way for the children of Israel to escape um, his wrath. Uh, when you look at this passage, one of the things that he talks about here is he talks about the idea that I'm going to bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. As you look at the ten plagues, as horrible as they are, one of the things that you notice is the idea that God goes one-on-one -on -one with all of their gods. And God challenges every one of their gods to say, look, I'm God, these gods are not gods. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to make too much of this because I think people take this too far. But I think one of the things that has happened in light of our current events is this. As Americans and really throughout the world, um, we put a lot of things before God. But one of the things that has happened as a result of all this is many of the things that we worship, many of the things that we put before God have been taken away from us. So for the first time, we've had to step back and say, how important were those things? Um, were those things really providing what, they need, what I needed those things to provide for me? And I think it's an interesting commentary on everything that we're going through right now. I think it's interesting that the people that we have honored and exalted and, and put on platforms in our country, people like um, actors and actresses and, 
and, and sports people and, 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 and all of these people that we have put up on a, pad, a pedestal and paid a lot of money to, all of a sudden we're realizing, you know what? The real heroes are the people who are on the front lines. The, the real heroes are the people who um, are keeping everything still going, that are still working towards things. And some of the things that we have worshipped, some of the things that we put up as gods, really the reality of it is that they haven't provided what we really need. And so I think for the first time, we're starting to see, a, at least in our country, we're starting to see people maybe awaken to the fact of, of God. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I think, I think it's an opportunity for us. And one, in fact, one of the uh, responses I was reading this week was talking about because churches have had to go online, there's been a whole lot more interest in people watching online and, 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 and actually church responses started to grow. Um, why? Because I think people for the first time have had so many things that have replaced God stripped away that all of a sudden now they're starting to figure out what's really important. And so family and things like that are all of a sudden coming to the forefront because they're really the important things. So, but anyway, in this, in this that, was a, that was a rabbit trail for free. In this story, what happens is um, God says, look, I, I'm going to take away their gods. I'm going to challenge their gods. I'm going to bring judgment on all of their gods. And so notice what uh, the text goes on to say. Exodus chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of all livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, and there was not a house without someone dead. Uh, it was an incredible scene that night as all of a sudden now all of Egypt experienced death. Um, I, I understand the tragedy of, of, of what's going on, but yet we have never experienced or seen anything like what happened that night in Egypt. There wasn't a house touched in which somebody had not died. And it's interesting, the Bible talks about Pharaoh's response. Exodus chapter 12, here's what he says. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go. And then, almost as a P.S., Pharaoh says, and also Bless me. Uh, there are some people who, when they look at that, they think that uh, that was Pharaoh becoming a Christian. I, I don't believe so because, as you're going to see next week, he starts to pursue the, the children of Israel. Uh, Egypt and, and Pharaoh was a, it was a polytheistic world. And so I think he was just adding on to um, his, his, his collection of gods, so to speak. But the rea the, the, to me, the, the interesting uh, parallel, the interesting bookend, so to speak, to this whole plague thing is this. When we start with the first plague, Pharaoh's question to Moses is, I don't even know who your God is. He's no God. By the time we get to the 10th plague, Pharaoh's acknowledging that, you know what, um, maybe you do have a God, and you know what, if, if it'll help, ask him to help me too. So I think you see at least that much of a change in the life of Pharaoh. And so we have the 10th plague, and we have what's known as the Passover. So uh, let me talk about a couple of things, I think, that uh, will help us 
as, uh, as we head into this week uh, to kind of give us an idea of uh, exactly what all this is about. First of all, um, I want you to understand that this whole Passover thing is really a picture of salvation. Um, there are people who believe that in the Old Testament you were saved by works, in the New Testament you're saved by faith. But the reality of it is you were saved the same way in the Old Testament as you are in the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, you were saved by faith because it, Passover is a great illustration of that. What happened? These people had to put their faith and trust in God to do exactly what God said, exactly the way God said it when God said to do it. Um, they had to go in. They had to take the lamb. They had to spend four days with it. They had to sacrifice it. They had to put the blood on the doorpost of the house. That was how God knew that their belief was real because what happens is they, they're putting their faith and trust and obedience in doing what God said God's way. There was no other way to escape the, the, the plague. If you did not do what God said, you were going to face the judgment of God. And so salvation is no different in the Old Testament than it is in the, in the New Testament. Uh, we just came off of Easter. You see a great picture um, in the Easter story of Passover. Uh, Again, I don't, I don't want to go into all the details. It's just fascinating to do a study of it. But Jesus comes in on a triumphal entry um, on, on Palm Sunday. Uh, four days later, he's at the cross. Uh, just like the lamb was spent four days waiting uh, in order to be sacrificed. In the same way, you, you have that picture. Um, in the story of Jesus, it's interesting. There are Jesus and two thieves hanging on the cross with him. Uh, when they come to break the bones, they don't break the bones of Jesus. In, in a Passover sacrifice, the bones could not be broken. Uh, and there's a, fulfill, a, a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Uh, you, see, <clears throat> you see the idea of the shed blood. Um, the blood, it was a complete sacrifice. Uh, you see that like I illustrated last week with the, uh, with the towels. The idea that the blood was able to cover your sin. The, 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 the whole idea behind that uh, is sourced in the Passover. So you see a lot of these, the, the, these parallels between uh, salvation and, and the Passover. And I, and I would challenge you to really ask yourself, what are you trusting in? Um, who are you trusting in for your eternal salvation? Just like we talked about last week. Um, it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as the great Passover sacrifice, if you will, the great Passover lamb. Um, so I think there's that aspect to it. I think there's a second idea, and, and, and this is kind of the idea that I want to I spend a little time on um, here at the end and, and really applying this for all of us uh, that are believers, that are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, some people call us disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, and that's this idea. Um, there is a, in the Passover thing, and I think it's true in salvation as well, there is a private part of it and there's a public part of it. Um, I, we live in rural Iowa um, and in rural Iowa, uh, things are different here. Um, I, I've learned, coming from a city environment, it's been, it's been a learning experience for me, but there's certain things over the years that I've learned. Uh, one of the things that's true about um, country people, rural people, agrarian people, is uh, uh, we're, we're incredibly private people. Uh, we like our space. Uh, we like dist social distancing is not a struggle for us because we like some space. Uh, between us. Uh, we, we live in a, in a world in which uh, we tend to be very private about our stuff. So in, in the larger cities, you, you kind of show off sometimes uh, the amount of money you have and things like that. But, but out in this area, you kind of just don't. You kind of downplay some of those things. 
Uh, you, 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 you're more private about so many things in, 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 your, in this world. And the same thing comes true with regard to our Christianity and our belief. We, we kind of hold this idea that um, my belief, my, my Christianity, my salvation is something private between me and God, and I don't want to be that public about it. And, and I get that. I really do understand that. Uh, we would rather, uh, as one person said, we would rather our, um, you know, your walk, or how does it say, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And I, I, I think there's an element of that in which we, we put more stock in um, what you do rather than just what you say. But when it comes to this issue of uh, Christianity, we tend to be private about it. And, and we believe that. We believe that salvation is a private matter between you and God. We believe that um, as a child of God, you're to put your faith and trust in Christ, and it's a personal decision. No one can make it for you. That's what we believe. But there's also a public aspect to it. Um, I think this is why when you see the teachings of Jesus and you see the teaching of the New Testament, there's a private aspect to it. Believe um, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But there's also a public aspect to it. I, I believe personally that starts with, with the issue of baptism. Um, I believe that's why when Jesus leaves, one of the last things that he says is, go into all the world and preach and teach, um, baptizing them. It's the idea of, okay, there's a private side and there's a public side. And I think the first start of that public side is baptism. And I, I want to encourage you because I, I see a lot of people that say they don't have any problem with the private side, of it, but they, because of our culture, because of maybe their personality, because of whatever, they, they minimize that private, that public side of it. And the same thing, when they go out in the community, you're hesitant to talk about your faith. Um, in your business, you're hesitant to talk about your faith. In your, with your neighbors and, and, and your connections, you're hesitant to talk about your faith. But one of the things that you see about Passover is the idea that there is a, there's a private side to it. Behind closed doors, you're, you're roasting that animal, you've got your shoes on, you've got your coat on, you're all ready to go. Uh, you're, you're ready to march out. There's, there's all these private things that happen behind closed doors. And then there's a very public aspect where you've basically gone out and you have put blood on the doorposts of your house. Um, there, the, I said earlier that all of the plagues are a, a direct attack on different gods. Um, many people believe that, uh, I tend to believe that it was attacked specifically on the whole idea that Pharaoh was God. Um, and so the next God would have been his son. But yet, um, there, there is a belief system out there that this was an attack on um, the idea that Egyptians worshipped lamb, lambs and goats. Um, and I think it's a little bit sketchy, but, but the idea that these people uh, propose is the idea that by bringing these animals into their house and by taking their blood and putting them on the doorposts and eating these animals, it was really an affront to the Egyptian culture to be able to say, this is what we think of your gods. And I don't know if that's true or not, but the reality of it is, this was a very bold statement among believers, among Jewish believers in Yahweh or Jehovah, as well as uh, the, the Egyptian people. So as I wrap it up, I want to try to illustrate this and help you understand this idea. So for the next few minutes, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to go back to pretend that you are a, a Jewish follower of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, um, during the time of the Exodus. So you've been in bondage to Egypt. You've watched nine plagues happen. Moses now comes to you, and he says, this is what God wants you to do. So you, 
decide that this is what you're going to do for your family because you're a believer in Jehovah. You're a believer in Yahweh. So you sit down with your family and you bring home a lamb or a goat, one-year-old male, and you sit down and, and the kids start getting attached. You say, okay, kids, here's what's going to happen. Um, we're going to keep this, this animal for four days. We're going to watch it. We're going to make sure everything's good about it. And then <clears throat> on the fourth day, we're going we're gonna to kill it. And we're going we're gonna to eat it. And we're going to take the blood and we're going to put it on our doorpost. And, of course, your kids got all kinds of questions and they're begging you not to do that. And you'll have to explain, no, we have to do this in order to save our family. And you go through all of that ritual. But the, the, the moment comes that you have to put the blood on your doorpost. Okay? So I want to illustrate it. i got my door up here. Um, and this is like a disaster waiting to happen. But I also have some red paint and I have a brush. Now, this is a disaster waiting to happen trying to do this in a sport coat, but we're going to try it anyway. So let's pretend that this is the blood of the goat or the lamb that you have. This is the, what, what you're going to use to brush it on with. And that morning or that, that evening, you had to go out and put it on the doorpost of your house. But here's the thing. You believe that this is a private thing between you and God. And you don't want to get look like you're too over the top with it. So you go out that day. So you're going to go out that day. And you're going to put blood on the doorpost or that evening. You're going to put the blood on the doorpost of your house. Because you want to make sure that the death angel knows that you're a believer. You want to make sure that the death angel knows that, you know what? I have blood. But you know what? Here's the problem. The problem is I don't want to get too crazy about this. I don't want people, to, I, you know, I don't want to offend my neighbors. Because, you know, they worship lambs. So I, I don't want to offend the other people. So I'm just going to put a little bit on there. Because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want someone to look at me and go, you know what, uh, the, the, those, those, those Jewish followers of Yahweh, they don't, you know, oh, they're one of those houses. So in order to not offend them, this is how I'm going to put the, 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 the blood on the doorpost of my house. You go, that would be crazy, Pastor. I mean, why would you even take the risk that the angel would miss that? And you go, well, I mean, if the angel's colorblind, I'm in trouble. So all of a sudden now I'm sitting there going, what, what? You go, why would you do that? And yet this is what I see Christians do. I see Christians go, you know what? It's a private matter. What happens behind the door is about me and God. But when I go out there into the world, I don't want them to get too, I, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want them to be, I don't want to embarrass them. So I'm going to be very private about what I believe. That whole baptism thing, you know, I'm just too nervous about getting in front of people for something like that. That whole telling people about Jesus thing, no, 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 that's not for me. That's not who I am. I'm really private about what I believe. And what happens is that we use our culture and we use our personalities and we use all kinds of excuses to say, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put a little bit out there for the world to see. Because, you know, I really believe this. This is genuine to my heart. Listen to me. I think most of you are like me. And the reality of it is, if you were living in Egypt in that time, this would be more along the lines of what you do on that evening when you know that a death angel is going to come through and he's going to try to figure out 
exactly who belongs to God, exactly who wants to be marked as a follower of Jehovah and Yahweh, exactly how does this happen. And you, like me, when it comes to putting blood on the doorposts of a house, are going to do it more like this. Because there's no way that we want anyone to think for a moment that this is not what we believe. This is how most of us, given that day, would put the blood on the doorposts of our house. So there's no question which side of the fence I'm on. Personally, I would want to paint the whole door. But that's not what I do. Why? Because that's not what God said to do. God said, this is what you do. You put it on the doorposts of the house so that all of the world knows you are a follower of Yahweh. You are a follower of Jehovah. You believe in the God of the Hebrews, not the God of the Egyptians. And if that offends my Egyptian friends, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it anyway. If this bothers you, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because my God is important to me. My God, there is a public aspect to my belief system, not just a private one. And I want to challenge you because I know a lot of you, you're brought up in this rural culture where, and we're brought up in this America where it's like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to push anybody. Let me tell you something. There is no greater time in our country right now than people are willing and, and, and I think need to hear this. Why? Because there are people who are living in fear, who are feeling hopeless, who have no encouragement, no help, nowhere to turn. They have no shelter from everything that's happening in this world. And you and I have the peace of God, the peace with God and the peace of God that passes all understanding. And the world needs to know this is who we are and this is what we're about. We don't need a bunch of Christians who are walking around saying it's a private thing putting little dots on the doorposts of their life. We need people who are willing to say, listen, I want you to know this is what I believe. I want you to know this is who I follow. I want you to know this is what I'm about. And I want to challenge you because I think we lose this. I think it's so easy for us to, to excuse it and to not live our faith boldly in a world that desperately needs what we have to offer. And we do it through love and we do it through compassion. And we share with people that which is so important. And I just want to challenge you. Because some of you, when it comes to this thing, I understand you have a private faith of, and trust in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was willing to go to a cross for you. Jesus Christ was willing to hang and, 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 be, and suffer for you. Jesus Christ was willing to do things publicly so that you and I could have eternal life. The least thing that we can do is follow him and be obedient. Yes, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Make that private decision. But also, make your faith public. I think the first brush stroke for most believers should be baptism. where you, It's kind of a bold statement among God's followers to say, hey, look, I'm with you. And then to go out into a world 
where people are going to reject you and, and, and persecute you and people are going to say things against you and make fun of you. But we paint it boldly and we let the world know we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. And I want to challenge you this week. Because I think sometimes, we, particularly in a time like this, we tend to get soft about this stuff. And that is not the time to do that. It is the time to show the world the God that we serve. So as I come to the end of our message this morning, um, each time I end with a, with a benediction, I guess some would call it, or um, just kind of a challenge to you. So I end this morning with this. The Jewish people had to make a choice. They obeyed and trusted in God, or they faced his judgment. God has not changed. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world will also be saved. I hope that you have that assurance. And for those of you who do, Will you let the world know that you are not ashamed? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the opportunity. And Lord, there is a world who desperately, desperately needs to know our Christ. Lord, help us to boldly go into the world so that they may see Christ in us in the way we act, in the way we respond, the way we handle the current situation. And Lord, when it is all said and done, may others come to know you because they see you in us. So Lord, use us this week. And uh, we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, that uh, ends our time. So I want to thank you for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you, and uh, Lord willing, uh, we will uh, see you next week. Lord bless you.